Hey guys, this is the C3 Church Malmo podcast. I am believing God will speak to you today and that a greater level of faith will be unlocked in your life. For more information about C3 Church, go to c3malmo.se. God bless. Imagine someone getting up in a place of worship that's been there for a long time and declaring that I am the light of the world. It would be strange. It would be strange. You can turn in your Bibles to John 8 and 9. We're going to be especially in chapter 9. But you'll see in John 8, 12, this is, of course, exactly what Jesus said in the temple, a place of worship that had been there for a long time. I am the light of the world. Of course, Jesus' timing is absolutely impeccable. I mean... The guy knows when to say something and when not to say it, right? He'll just put a statement in there exactly when it's supposed to be said. And at this time, when Jesus makes this crazy statement, the Israelites were celebrating the Festival of Tabernacles. So that's when they remembered and they celebrated God's provision for them in the wilderness when he brought them out of Egypt. And they also looked forward to a day when God's presence would flow through the entire earth. So it's kind of like Advent, when they're looking back to remember something that happened and looking forward to a future event. So that's what they're doing, Festival of Tabernacles. As part of the celebration, they had something called the Ceremony of Light. And this is when the temple would be lit up like it is never lit up any other time of year. So in the outer courts, they had these huge four pillars, and each pillar had four bowls, gigantic bowls of oil. They would use priestly garments to keep the oil, uh, to make the fire, to light the oil. And this, it is said in some Jewish texts, created a wonder to behold. Remember, this is at a time when they don't have light bulbs, right? They, after the sun goes down, it's normally just dark. So imagine at this time of the year, the temple is like on fire, Then the reports are that it would just overflow into the city. And so because they had this light at nighttime, people would be dancing in the streets. I mean, this was a party. There would be a choir of Levites singing. It was an amazing time. People are happy. They're celebrating. Yeah, this is what, this is a small taste of what it's going to be like when God's presence flows into all the world. So that's what's going on when Jesus arrives to say, I am the light of the world. It's weird. They would have been like, what? (laughs) We're celebrating the light of the world right now, right? And he's like, I am. But he's the past. He's the God of the past and the future. Come into the present to say something totally lunatic. I mean, this is crazy to say if it's not true. I hope you can appreciate that. C.S. Lewis says that some of these statements that Jesus makes, if they're not true, I mean, they are just as crazy as a man standing up saying, I am a poached egg. Like it's on that level of crazy, if it's not true. So I hope you can appreciate what a stir this would have caused. People would have been like, okay. And it did. In John chapter 8, just a few lines later, 
verse 25 just jumps out at me, jumped out at me again when I was preparing for this. The people around are asking, who are you, Jesus? Who are you, Jesus? After he's just made some other crazy statements about being from above and not of this world, he says, I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am the one I claim to believe. That's more crazy statements if they're not true. Who are you? It's what the people of John 8 and 9 were asking back then. It's what the author of this gospel wants any reader at any time in history to ask. So it's for us today and every day. Who is Jesus, this baby whose birth we celebrate at Christmas? If you want to cause a bit of a stir at your next office speaker, Freda's fika, maybe, maybe you just ask, hey, it's Christmas time, what is Who's Jesus to you all? <laughs> Just throw that in there. Mm. See how people respond. It's a divisive question, actually. You'll find people do respond. I would guess that many of us in this room call Jesus king and friend. Many of us. Maybe not all of us. And I want to respect that, of course. Even if you don't, whatever you call Jesus today, you're very welcome you're very welcome here. My, I've got a dear Muslim friend I met at the playground a few years, years ago. I was not playing at the playground. Okay, my children, <laughs> my children were playing at the playground, and as were hers. <laughs> she calls Jesus prophet. An old coworker I once, uh, I once had called him a crazed patriarchal psychopath while another coworker considered him a compassionate human teacher with some good things to say. But in her mind, his views, funnily enough, all conveniently aligned with her views on every, every point, you know. Mm. There might be someone here who hasn't given Jesus much thought at all. He just seems kind of irrelevant, like a thing of the past. You know, maybe he's just a dead guy to you. But if the question doesn't occupy you now, who is Jesus, it will at some point, or it should. I hope it does. Um, there was a, an American interviewer personality on TV for a long time named Larry King. I don't know if you're familiar with him or not. He died, I think, last year of COVID at 87. He did 50,000 interviews with people in his lifetime, all kinds of people. Uh, and he was actually the son of Jewish immigrants that came from Belarus uh, to the United States. So he's got kind of a wonderful American story, you know, the one, right, where he made it after his parents immigrated. Later in his life, he would say things like he was very proud to be Jewish. He was proud of his Jewish heritage, but he was an agnostic. And then even later in his life, he said, I th I'm an atheist at this point. But interestingly, one broadcaster asked him late in his life, if you could interview everybody, you've interviewed so many people. Like, is there anyone left? If you could interview anyone from across time, who would you like to interview? And he said, Jesus Christ. Maybe a bit strange for a Jewish atheist at this time. So the guy said, well, okay, yeah, what would you ask him? And Larry King answered, I'd ask him if he were indeed virgin born. 
because the answer to that question would interpret all of history. So he takes this question, who is Jesus? For It's the question of a lifetime, I think. And King says here, it's, it's actually the question on which all of history rests. Who is Jesus? So I want to zoom in now on John 9. We're going to see what the Gospel of John tells us about who Jesus is today. You know, Jesus didn't just walk around declaring crazy things. He actually put them into practice. He showed the people what he meant. And so in John 9, we see the light of the world, the, the cosmic light, take the light to an individual and make it personal, a sign for all of us. So you read in John 9, 1, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. He saw a man blind from birth. Jesus saw him. I stop here, and I just wonder what kind of day this blind beggar was having. Blindness in the ancient world was not at all like being blind today. It was an affliction that people viewed as being, all, you were almost dead. Like, if you were blind, you were almost dead. There were no seeing eye dogs. You know, there was no system to take care of you, no understanding of what was going on. You were as good as dead. You had no options in life. Your only option was to beg. The other thing is about blindness, it was super common. It happened to a lot of people. Many people actually went blind because of infections, infections that you and I would go to the doctor to cure easily with antibiotics, but then was like receiving a death sentence. So I wonder what this blind man, what kind of life he had. He didn't go blind, he was blind from birth. People commonly believe that sin directly caused these things so that the boy or his parents would have done something specifically to cause his blindness. Can you imagine what this boy growing up would have asked his parents? Like, Why did this happen to me, mama? So you're, and, he's, and she's trying to explain that it's possible to see he has no framework for what that even means. She, and he's like, why, why, why am I blind? Maybe she answered, I don't know, son, but quietly wondered to herself what she or her husband had done to bring this on him. And this is just life for him, right? He accepts that it's his only option. After his parents took care of him, he grew up to be a beggar, sitting probably on the outskirts of the temple. He's dependent on people seeing him. He knows that they assume that his condition is caused by him or his parents, but he hopes they take pity and drop a coin or a bit of food. He probably gets to know some regulars, right? We see as we go along in this chapter that he's, he's quite the conversationalist, actually. So maybe he got more money than some of the other beggars because he could talk, he could chit-chat. But he couldn't know right now. He couldn't expect, he had no frame, he had no category for knowing that the light of the world saw him and is about to blow his categories for what is possible. He will open his physical eyes, first category, blown. 
But Jesus also knows something about this man. He sees something inwardly. He knows that he's ready to see spiritually too. And it starts because Jesus sees him. And you know, he sees you too. Man, I felt that so strongly as we were worshiping. He sees you right here, sitting not in the dust at the temple in Jerusalem 2,000 plus years ago, but he sees you right here at a C3 Malma Advent service at a rented Salvation Army property decorated for Christmas on a black chair next to your family, your friends, and acquaintance, maybe strangers. He sees you. Even if you're not directly looking for him. This man wasn't looking for Jesus. I imagine Jesus was moved by compassion. We read him having that response in other stories. He sees this man. Maybe he smiles a little bit to himself because he knows all this man could be and would be. He's spiritually asleep right now, in the dark, but soon awake as the light begins to dawn on him. He knows you too. He knows the parts of you that are asleep. He knows the suffering you carry. He knows you who feel excluded. He sees you who feel spiritually empty. Maybe Christmas this year is reminding you of all you don't have. Health, a close family member's health. Maybe it's family you don't have. Maybe you recently lost a job, a sense of purpose. Joy, Jesus sees you, and he sees you rightly. That's the thing. He sees you rightly even when no one else does. Who is Jesus? The question is hanging there. It's hanging there in in John chapter 8 and 9. Maybe it's hanging in your own life too. So we see next, Jesus' disciples ask him, who sinned here, this man? He was born blind. Did he sin before birth or his parents? Jesus says, neither. There's a lot to unpack here on suffering, and that's not my exact topic today. But it's important to see that Jesus says this is actually not a direct result of something specific that this boy or parents did. John, the author, wants us to see this man's physical blindness as a metaphor for every man and woman's blindness. We're all born blind in a sense, right? And then Jesus says, while the light is in the world, we got to do the work of God. God's glory is going to be revealed in this man. Now, what's going on for the blind man? He must be hearing this conversation. He's probably used to hearing people talk about him. You think, I'm sure he's heard the same question before. What did you do to cause this? People discussing, well, what his parents say out there? They could have done that. Maybe it was that. I heard they did that. I'm sure he's heard conversations like this. Maybe he's learned to tune them out, right? They always come to the same conclusion anyway, and they had no real solution for him. I wonder, I can't help but wonder, did he tune in a little differently to this conversation between Jesus and his disciples? Maybe he could hear a different kind of compassion and authority in Jesus' voice. 
I don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us, but I wonder. What would he have heard next? Something like that. Look what happens next. Jesus spits on the ground. They would have heard that. A strange detail to our ears, but it's possible that the blind man's heart started pounding faster. Saliva was actually a commonly prescribed remedy for eye conditions at the time. So it's possible, we know Jesus doesn't need to do this to heal this man, but it could be that he's doing this to build the blind man's faith. At the time, his heart's beating faster. John, the author here, he loves to show how physical, material things are spiritually significant. They're all one. The physical, visible, touchable world of spit and mud is meant to be one big sign pointing to what we can't see. So Jesus spits on the ground. He picks up the dirt and the saliva and rubs it together. The man's probably hearing it. Man, he can't see. He's just hearing this. He gently applies it to the man's eyes. And he says, go now, in verse 7, go wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. And the man obeyed. There was something about Jesus talking here that made him obey. The man went and washed, and he came home seeing. He came home seeing. Category blown. God, as John would put it, who created the universe with its spiritual and its material dimensions, who created humans in his image out of the dust of the earth and then breathed his life into them, shone his light on them. That same God at Christmas time lowered himself to be recreated through a woman in order to recreate this man from the dust of the earth and his life, his saliva, putting it on his eyes. He goes to wash in the water. Of course, that's symbolically important, that specific water, but it's a rebirth, right? It's a baptism. He's reborn, a new man. You know, the whole Christian story is in this text. Like, we're born spiritually blind without the ability to muster up our own light. Though we try, we try, we try. The light that we need comes not from within, as our culture commonly says, look within for your light, find the light within. Uh, It doesn't come from within. We're blind spiritually with no resources. Our condition is like this blind man of ancient times. He had no resources, no options, no ability to do anything about his situation himself. John is saying to us here, that is what our condition is like. It doesn't come from within. It doesn't come from togetherness or community either. I hear that a lot from Swedish politicians. My family and I stumbled accidentally upon the uh, first Advent celebration in Monmouth City. They had a local politician, and he was talking about the light of Christmas too. But it was a vague concept for him. (laughs) It was just vaguely something better, the light of Christmas. We'll find it in being together. No, we won't. (laughs) 
because I can't find it within and you can't find it within, when we all get together, it's still not there, <laughs> right? We still come up empty. It's still dark. Mm. The next part of this passage in John gets absolutely fascinating. We see the reactions. It's almost like a courtroom situation. People are talking about this, but who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? I mean, you can imagine, we read it here in a couple minutes, but they would have taken days. I mean, they would have been, their minds were blown, right? Is this man a lunatic? Is he a sinner? Is he from the devil? Is he God? Never before was a man blind since birth healed. This hasn't happened in the Old Testament. This was truly category-breaking, terrifying, forced those in the proximity to this miracle to face that hanging question, who is Jesus? So let's read verse 8 to 12. I'll just read all four of those verses here. His neighbors, that's the formerly blind man's neighbors, and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, nah, he just looks like him. That's not the same guy. But the guy himself is like, yeah, hey, I'm the man. It's me. How then were your eyes open, they demanded. And he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and washed. So I went and washed and then I could see. Just tells them, matter of fact, right? Where is this man? The neighbors asked. I don't know. Why do some people believe and others not? Have you ever wondered that? There seems to be something of an inward condition that makes some people open to category-defying events and some people closed. It's the difference between your main mental outlook on life being the world can't possibly work like that. It's just beyond my understanding. Like that's your reaction to think, nah, it just, that, nah, I know. Or the other option, it might work like that. I've got a tiny little perspective. I don't know everything. The Bible, funnily enough, consistently asks us to be open-minded, to have an open-minded faith. Our perspective of God, of life, of each other, of our purpose here, it's always too small compared to what the scriptures show us. It's funny then that Bible-believing Christians are often called closed-minded. If you're letting this, if you're reading this, and if you're letting this read you, it will ask you to open your mind to who God really is to who you really are. But look, this group of neighbors, we had there, I would call them in general curious. We have some that are kind of open curious. They're like, yeah, that's the man. Some who are more closed curious at the outset saying, no, that's not the man. But then they, they, he says he is and they keep asking questions. I love that. You know, if you're here, maybe you identify with these people in the story. You're curious. That's a good place to be. Keep asking questions. Cultivate an open mind. Could the world work like that? 
Notice the man himself. He simply retells his experience. And right now he calls Jesus just the man, the man they call Jesus. He did this. Watch his progression as we go. It's fascinating. But now these people, the neighbors turn to the Pharisees, the religious elite who had the answers, usually. And they are going to investigate, right? They turn out, not surprisingly, to be on the closed end of things. So closed that they're kind of hostile, self-righteous. Some of them declare Jesus to be a sinner. Look, he did this thing on Sabbath. That's clearly a sin. People from God don't sin. Therefore, this man is not from God. But some people are like, well, maybe he did it. The man's right there. He can see. They're divided. It's a divisive question. So go down to verse 17. They can't figure it out among themselves. So finally, they turn again to the blind man. Formerly blind man, it should say. (laughs) What have you to say about him? That's Jesus. It was your eyes he opened. So who do you think he is? The man replied, he's a prophet. Now he's not just the man they call Jesus. He's a prophet. Something's happening with him. Verse 18, the Jews still still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Hmm. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We're going to look at their reaction, and I have to say, it's a bit of a head-scratcher of all the reactions here. I mean, this is their son who they've cried over, They've, they, perhaps they've prayed, they've felt guilty about causing him this affliction. Now he has been healed. You would think, I mean, imagine if this was your child, would you be rejoicing and amazed and like telling everybody? Look what they answer. Verse 20, they say, we know he is our son and we know he was born blind, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He can speak for himself. We can keep reading there that his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That was why they kind of deflected. They deferred. Okay, go ask him instead. They are attempting here to remain neutral because they're afraid of the Jews. They're afraid to be kicked out. They're afraid to lose their comfort, their identity, to be excluded. They avoid the question like a slippery politician. I'm neutral here. They want to identify with their son still, but also keep what they have, right? And I have to say, reading this, as much as I identify and I want to identify with Jesus or with the blind man in this story, I also find myself identifying with his parents. I want to testify on Jesus' behalf. I know he miraculously has given me sight, and yet sometimes I'm I'm scared to do that. I'm scared to fully um, commit my allegiance. And if you, don't, if you don't believe me, you're like, well, you're up there declaring your allegiance. It's kind of hard to deny it, right? Then I can tell you, a few months ago, 
I was in a coffee shop uh, doing some work. It was pretty full. It was a pretty full coffee shop. Um, and soon, or not too long before I was going to leave, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, talk to that man right there. He was busy. I mean, he was studying. He was doing something. Um, I didn't know exactly what I was supposed to say. Something like maybe invite him to church or, you know. I don't normally get these feelings so much for complete strangers when I'm out somewhere. And you know what? I didn't do it. I didn't talk to him. I thought, oh, I started rationalizing. Is this me? Is this God telling me, really? Is it really God? What if I create a scene for this poor man? Maybe I'm going to embarrass him. You know, he's going to be stuck in the cafe. I'm about to go out. He's going to be there, the one who the weird lady talked to, tried to invite to church. And I didn't do it. I was like the man's parents, afraid. The Pharisees summoned the man again. And they ask him, verse 24, a second time. Actually, they tell him now, give glory to God. Because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered, I've told you already. You did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You want to become his disciples too? He's getting a little feisty here. They hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciples. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this guy, we don't even know where he comes from. Verse 30, the man answered, now that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners he listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. He's, something's happening to this man, right? To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. Right? That's their old line. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. He was excluded before. Well, now he's just out. Jesus next. I just love Jesus. Look at, look at what he does. Jesus heard that they had thrown him, him out. So he goes to find him. This all started because Jesus saw him. And now Jesus heard they've thrown him out. He saw the man, he healed the man, and he finds the man again. This time, the man sees in every sense of the word. Just like the first humans God created from the earth and breathed, breathed life into before their relationship was broken, they would have looked right into the face of God. Just like them, this outcast has been recreated and will now look into the eyes of Jesus. And he will believe that Jesus is who he says he is, the Son of Man, the Lord of all, the light of the world. Darkness dispeller, physical healer, and compassionate spiritual healer. Jesus asks him, do you believe in the Son of Man? 
He says, who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And his response is to worship. It's the only reasonable response, really, to God who blows all of our categories. What courage this man has. What joy he has found. What wholeness. He feels whole. He is aligned. Does he understand all of God's mysteries? Does he understand suffering in this life? He understands it because he's experienced it, but he doesn't have the answers to all of those questions. If God were small enough to understand, he wouldn't be big enough to worship, right? Evelyn Underhill said that. So to see spiritually doesn't mean to understand God fully. We cannot. It means simply to be open enough to let the light of Jesus shine on you and through you. To feel his eyes looking at you. And to recognize him as Lord, light of the world. Jesus' verdict of the Pharisees, they get, you know, all upset about this. Are you saying we're blind? And he says, you know, your blindness doesn't make you guilty. It's because you claim to see that you are. They're not open to having God break their categories. It's kind of funny because Jesus comes as a fulfillment to their categories. <laughs> but they're fundamentally closed inwardly. That's why John 1.11 says, Jesus came to that which was his own, but they rejected him. I can't help but think about some in this room who may have been hurt by Pharisee-like Christians in the past, by hardened religious people who put God in a box and put you in a box and then stunned you with their own hypocrisy. And I just want to say I'm so sorry if you've had that experience and encourage you not to give up on Jesus because some people represented him poorly. That question, who is Jesus, is too important. Band, you can come on up. I've got a couple of questions. If you haven't seen before, you feel like, I, you know, I don't know exactly how I would answer the question, who is Jesus? And my question just is, are you open? Maybe you identified with feeling spiritually empty. Are you open and empty? That's actually a great place to be. Will you say that the light you crave isn't inside? The Christian Christmas message is that ultimately all human attempts to create the light, to bring the light, to shed the light, they might have some good short-term effects, but they will ultimately not bring us out of the dark. Jesus is the oil lamp that never runs out of oil. God's presence is light itself. So you're invited this Christmas. There's an old man in Luke 2, the story of Jesus' birth, named Simeon, we read about him waiting all his life 
to lay eyes on the Messiah. And in Luke 2, verse 30 to 32, you can read, he, he actually holds the baby and he says, My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. That's Bible language for Jesus. is for everyone. He's for you. And maybe that's the gift. Maybe that'll be your best gift this Christmas. That your eyes will see his salvation. That you would feel whole. That you would experience joy. As your creator rubs mud and spit on your eyes. It says, you can see now. Christians, we must remember that our testimony is always, I once was blind, but now I see. Definitely not in a self-righteous, well, now I see. Look at all these people here who don't see. I've been given sight. No. In a worshipful, oh my God, I was once blind, stumbling around in the darkness, and Jesus by the grace of God, has given me the light of life. The genuine response to this is love, worship, joy. We are invited to live our whole lives from that place. And yeah, we got to be reminded, don't we? We have to be reminded and to ask to see him freshly so that we don't become closed, so that we don't become like the Pharisees or the man's parents afraid to testify. Let him remind you this morning. I need Jesus to apply a fresh coat of mud and spit to my eyes. Before we start singing or anything like that, I just want to invite us into a time to be quiet before the Lord you can close your eyes. Everyone close your eyes. I invite you not to wander off in your thoughts, but to be present to what's going on in your body and how you feel. I want you to ask yourself, if you're comfortable, just ask yourself, who are you, Jesus? Ask him, man, who are you, Jesus? Whether you've walked with him for a long time or never before, ask him again, who are you, Jesus? I want to see you more clearly today.
Lord, I thank you that you see us, that you see us rightly. Lord, that you see us as we really are. I thank you that you love us truly. It's kind of scary to invite the light into your life. I recognize that. It's kind of scary. The light reveals things. But that's the thing about Jesus. He's the only one who could call you out on your darkness and condemn you for it. But when Jesus looks at you, and sees you as you really are. He sees your darkness. He knows everything about you. He could say, you are not worthy of my light. But he doesn't say that. He smiles. He smiles on you and says, my child, I see you. I love you. And my light is for you. Do not be afraid. He takes away your shame. He takes away your guilt. So if you're here and you're feeling kind of scared of the light, I understand that. It is scary. It's a scary step. But if you're going to trust anyone to take that step with, it's Jesus. I pray for the person in the room, Lord, who wants to take that step but is hesitating. Would you let them know somehow right now, Lord? Would you speak to them in a way they understand that you are with them, you love them, and you can't wait to bring them into the light? God, I thank you that my testimony is I was blind, but now I see. Lord, help me to live my life. Help the people in this room to live their lives from a place of worship and joy. Because we were blind and we've been recreated. We've been re-sculpted. We've been given new eyes and a new heart by our creator. Adjust our vision if it's become cloudy, Lord. Remind us. Remind us of who you are and who we are. Thank you for the gift of salvation, the best gift we could receive this Christmas. As we worship one last time together, if you would like prayer again, if you just want to talk, I'll be available after service. I would love to pray for you. Lynn, Matthew would love to pray for you.
But let's worship together. Friends, if you have been blind and now you see, worship him. Let's worship together. <laughs> 